Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa on this early signing day. Dustin, how are you doing, sir? Doing well. Uh, excited to talk early signing day, hit a little bit of the transfer portal, my favorite, and maybe t- maybe touch on the bowl game just, just a little bit. Just a skosh. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that <laughs> as we get into this. Uh, I should also mention we are not just joined by Dustin Ragusa, as always. Not as always. We are joined by our friend Adam Lunt. Adam, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to uh, talking endlessly about uh, the ins and outs of the the deep transfer portal and <laughs> the the recruiting world, which is never a hot topic at all. So, yeah, right. How could we ever talk about that on this podcast? And why would we call you? I don't know, but it's good to have you back, man. It's it's been a hot minute. Anything? Uh, what have you been up to? Absolutely nothing. Uh, nothing that is interesting. Uh, of worth discussion so boring boring dad stuff and uh hey you built uh the new the new back patio yeah that's true we did build like a like a like a second living room back patio that will be ready to roll for next football season the goal was conference season and the contractor failed miserably so (laughs) i had to watch I had to watch us lose four out of five inside instead of outside this year. So maybe that's tough. goals, goals yeah. for next season. Adam, I can confirm that the patio doesn't make much of a difference because I was able to watch most of those on my patio and it sucked equally. So I, I can uh, confirm that it's, it's not that great, but it is really good to have you on. I know uh, a lot of people are fired up to hear from you. Um, I mean, we've got a jam-packed show, obviously, with some recent transfer portal additions, not even just from the last time we've talked. There's four more to discuss who have come on uh, on the roster. We've got early signing day, if you can even call it early anymore. It is the signing day event. And then, as Dustin said in the open, we will uh, we will touch on the uh, on the bowl game uh, coming up next Tuesday. But why don't One Dustin? Why don't each you? On the yeah, bowl game. right, right. We'll we'll pick a winner and an impact player, and then we'll just go on our way. But Dustin, well, I'm going to flip it over to you just for a couple of notes on the transfer portal. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about some of the guys that have committed since we last spoke, Cade. So there's actually been quite a few. So there was four guys since we recorded last that have committed to Oklahoma State. That's Noah McKinney, the UNLV tackle, six foot five, three hundred and ten pounder. He redshirted last season. He's going to come in with a ton of eligibility to go. So just a depth piece there on the offensive line was a three three star recruit coming out of high school i think the main thing people are really focused on there are the fact that he's coming from unlv right we've heard the marcus arroyo smoke about him possibly joining the staff so that's definitely an interesting one and we can get more into him in a bit kenneth harris the six foot 193 pound defensive back from arkansas state he's going to come over he started for arkansas state full-time starter for the red wolves played in all 12 games 36 tackles 
four and a half tackles for loss and interception and 10 pass breakups. I think it's nice, especially when you're losing guys like Jabbar Muhammad, people like that in the defensive backfield to bring him in. Dalton Cooper, the offensive tackle from Texas State, who has two years of eligibility remaining, 6'6", 320 pounds. He's a two-time All-Sun Belt Conference honoree, 807 snaps at left tackle last season. So big get for the offensive line there. And then one kid that you and I thought we were for sure going to get after the signing of Justin Wright, the Tulsa linebacker, is Anthony Goodlow, the Tulsa defensive end, six foot four, 286 pounds, one year left, kind of can play inside, outside. I'm thinking of him as a little bit more like a Tyler Lacey style. He had a lot of big time offers, though, in the transfer portal, Arizona State. SMU, TCU, UCLA, USC, West Virginia, and he decided to follow his roommate to Oklahoma State. So just wanted to get see what you and Adam thought about those guys. Anybody stick out to you out of those four? You think any could be big-time impact players next season? I mean, for me, it's it's got to be just a combination. We've already talked about Justin Wright, but him and Anthony Goodlow stepping in, those are two – extremely high positions of need. Um, I would just say that that jumps out to me. Depth on the offensive line and especially somewhat experienced depth, even though Noah McKinney, you know, never really started a game, redshirted at UNLV. I still like that, you know, he's been in a, you know, a program that's not, you know, small, you know, high school. So I, I like him, but I, I still feel like those two Tulsa transfers are high impact. Adam, I don't know where you're at on things, but. Yeah, I, I watched uh, Goodlow quite a bit. I watched Dalton Cooper quite a bit. Uh, the cool thing about watching them is is you were I was able to watch, uh, was it Tulsa? Um, I guess Ole maybe. Miss, it would have maybe? Been, yeah, well, I watched like three or four games. I think some of it was actually the 20, 2000, uh, the game from 21 last year against us. Uh, and then also um, Cooper had a game against Baylor this year. Uh, and, and Baylor's got some pretty good defensive ends. So it's interesting to see kind of how, uh, how he was actually, uh, able to perform against, you know, what I would consider quality power five competition held up really well. Those are the two that would certainly stand out from that group of four. I wouldn't overlook, uh, Kenneth Harris, I think was the, the, the person that everyone just kind of like saw and just kind of forgot about. Yeah. Um, I actually watched him in, in, against Ohio state. He held up pretty well. Uh, he got burned by Marvin Harrison Jr. on a go ball, but a lot of corners did because yeah. <laughs> he's a really good player. Uh, he uh, and actually I went into the PFF and looking at um, he's allowing about 50 percent completion percentage. Um, so he's he's kind of that sticky, uh, you know, shorter, but but more sudden, quick cornerback like a Jabbar Muhammad. Like it's a pretty good fit if he could come in and replace that, assuming they don't have anyone behind him. So uh, the, certainly Cooper and Goodlow stand out from that group, but I wouldn't forget it. McKinney is a, is, you know, a card, like a, a coin flip more or less. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't forget about Kenneth Harris. I think that could be someone that could be in the two deep. So. Yeah. I really like the Harris pickup as well, especially since Adam, you alluded to, you know, being similar to Jabbar Muhammad and some of those skill sets that you talked about. But the fact that Jabbar kind of went into the portal and Kenneth Harris got on the team around the same time, it was almost like that was their guy to, you know, maybe not a one for one trade off with a guy like Jabbar Muhammad, but at least they knew that that was a depth piece there to kind of bring in when you're losing a guy with those, with those skills. I, I think for me out of those guys, I, I think Dalton Cooper is probably the one that I looked for 
on offense to maybe come in? I, I mean, do you guys think that's a guy that comes in and starts right away at right or left tackle? I, I mean, I would think Etienne would keep his spot at left tackle, but do you think Cooper is the one right tackle next season or a guy like Kowecki, you know, Jake Springfield hasn't announced anything yet. What are you guys kind of thinking there? For me, I feel like he could come in and push both. Um, I'm not saying he's going to take Caleb Etienne's spot. I agree with you. I think that's probably his, but you've got a guy in Kowecki who's so young and has been talked about so highly in the program. And then you bring in a two-time all-conference player in Dalton Cooper it makes you wonder what their their you know immediate term plan is. I do think he'll start day one. The question is just where. It's it's so hard because you know we we keep wanting to pass up Jake Springfield. We're like, oh, surely he'll he'll get passed up, and and you know he just keeps sticking around. I was uh, he was actually not not too bad in in more limited snaps this year too. So um, yeah, we gave him the flowers several times. <laughs> I think I think it is a good sign if he wins the job because that means that I think Jake Springfield, albeit incredibly uh, consistent, has a, a you know has a limited ceiling, uh, and that means that Dalton Cooper has like exceeded that. Um, whether that means left tackle, right tackle, uh, I, I think you got four reasonably good options, which is about two more or three more than we normally have. Uh, so. Either way, it's a good it's a good spot. There's good depth. Kowecki, I think, is probably the most naturally talented of the group, and then he's the least experienced. So it's like sliding scales. Generally, this staff has gone with more experience. So that's and, that would serve well for Cooper. And if you guys couldn't tell, and I know we had several people on Twitter reach out and ask us to do this, basically bringing up Cooper at the end of my little spiel there was my way to trick Adam into going into talking about the offensive line. So we had several people talk about that. So why don't we keep on the offensive line for a second? Etienne, Birmingham, Wilson, Brooks, Cooper, or Springfield. You've got Kowecki. You've got Taylor Materko hasn't announced anything yet. And Joe Mahalski. Is that line? Those guys I just listed off. How much better is that than the depth and overall starting potential that we had going into this season? Well, it's kind of a trick question because it's like you want to make sure that everyone is allocated at the right position. So, for example, like Jason Brooks played tackle and guard. I think everyone agrees he's much better at guard. So there's no reason for him to play tackle but this year there was like there was some depth issues that put he started um, at tackle, I think, and then slowly moved his way in. So I think, you know, I think that the, that the options are a little bit better, but I think more along the lines of the fact that there's more balance and depth across the entire line instead of so you can actually slot people where they should be, uh, I think is equally as important. So I, I think there's no doubt that there's more potential with this line than the previous year. Um, but you know, the way that these offensive linemen have been getting injured, you know, you've got, honestly, you may need four tackles, um, which sounds insane. I mean, a lot of people go and, and, and go five offensive linemen the whole year, but apparently OSU has got some injury bugs. So, um, so I don't know if that answers the question directly, but I do think that there's more potential, uh, based on not only a little bit of a talent upgrade experience upgrade, but also the ability to have depth in the right spots so you can play people where they should be. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And Kay, do you think do they still need to go get somebody else out of the portal on the offensive line? And if they do, would you rather be a guard or tackle? Well, I mean, after the last three years, it's it's hard to say no to that proposition. Like if they have somebody who's going to push a starter on the offensive line. If, yes. if they, let me rephrase it. If they don't get somebody else from the portal on offensive line, is it going to be a disappointment to you? No, no. I, I think Dalton Cooper fills a gap. And then I, I really like some of the younger talent that's come in. Um, not that they are going to be ready, but you're filling the depth there to Adam's point. Like it's been musical chairs for the last four years. I, you absolutely could make a case that this transfer portal class needs one more offensive lineman. And I wouldn't balk at that, but I wouldn't say it would be a disappointment. I feel like the, the, the offensive line already has the pieces you just got to figure out a way to stay healthy. I mean, and that that's just the bottom line. The last three years have been just a complete outlier. It's like, I, I don't understand how Oklahoma state and everybody else is having kind of the success they've had in Oklahoma state is battling this injury bug. So it's a long winded way of saying, no, it, it, it wouldn't be a disappointment, but I would love for them to take one more. Save yeah, the NIL money for the de- a defensive tackle. <laughs> be the way that I would say it. Yes. And that honestly, Adam, that's kind of a perfect segue into the next question I was going to ask. So we've got Justin Wright. We've got Deshaun Stribling. We've got Sean Tyler, all guys that Cade and I have talked about. I think all three of those guys are guys that could come in and make an impact next year. We talked about the four that recently committed. So there's seven. Do we think, do you guys think Oklahoma State's going to try to get anybody else out of the portal? And, you know, we're into the dead period now, so it'd probably be after the bowl game. We'd kind of hear some of that. People aren't able to visit or anything like that right now. But do you think they try to go get somebody else? And if so, what position do you think it needs to be? And Adam, I'll let you go first because I think I know what your answer is. You just said it. Yeah, the defensive tackle situations – I don't know how to diplomatically say this, but not good. Like, like ugly, I think, uh, you know, they've, they struck out on some recruits. Um, you know, I, what was it? Uh, Jernigan left early last year. They lost, uh, Antoine, Antoine. left a, uh, a year early Evers. I mean, you know, some of these players weren't going to be back this year, but them losing three guys that they probably thought they were going to have this past year, in addition to the fact that they they struck out on some kids on last class and this class, um, has left them in a pretty tough spot to where they need they need added depth um, at that position in a bad way. There's not another position I think I would highlight that is in a significant amount of trouble other than defensive tackle that they, I wouldn't say just one, I think potentially two defensive tackles need to be uh, addressed in the spring, which, you know, I mean, a lot of people think that the transfer portal is going to be closed, but you know, OSU is going to lose kids from today until June, probably two, three, maybe even more than that. And that's going to happen everywhere. There's still going to be churn. So there's still opportunities, but that needs to be addressed for sure. It's, it's a, talking point Dustin I've been on for months is is how do you not only solve the defensive line issues in the season but it was a glaring issue in the recruiting as well we've talked about this for several I mean it feels like months now Dustin so it's nice to be validated is is all I'll say (laughs) I, I mean there's not even that many guys on scholarship right now that actually play true defensive tackle so you're talking about 
uh, Samuela Tuahalamaka, who is a super senior, he may not come back. He, he would have to take that extra COVID year. You've got Colin Clay, Xavier Ross, Aiden Kelly. You've got Ricky Lolahia, if you can count him as defensive tackle, who's coming in for the cl- freshman class. We'll talk about him soon. And then the Juco guy they got from NEO, uh, it's either Eamon or Iman Oates. I've heard it pronounced both ways. That That's it. That's not, that's, that's it. I mean, <laughs> you can maybe count some of those defensive ends as guys that could switch over to the inside. Good, you know, good low could potentially slide inside. Yeah. But, uh, but that's all you really have on the roster right now. Even if, Three of those guys are studs. I don't think that's enough people for depth. If, like in case of injuries, Adam, like you said, if somebody decides to leave in the spring, you need more than six scholarship guys at that spot. It's we're in nine one one mode. <laughs> <laughs> like it is emergency time at defensive tackle. I would say that's an appropriate way to describe this. So. Outside of defensive tackle, any any other positions of need you guys think that they should continue to address in the portal? I know that it it looks to me like we're the favorite, one of the favorites right now for the LSU transfer tight end, Cole Taylor. You know, there's a couple other guys still out there. The Boston College safety, Jason uh, Mattire. There, there's several, Brennan Armstrong. Any other position? I, I mean, I know quarterback's a hot topic that you guys think we need to need to get out of the portal before we move into the spring and into fall camp. I think. I mean, obviously, quarterback for sure. Uh, well, I mean, I say obviously. I mean, maybe maybe I shouldn't, but you know, having a uh, like a, a bridge year would be incredibly helpful. I mean, you know, sticking Rangel out there for two or three games is just unfair to everyone. It's unfair to him. It's unfair to a lot of people. He needs, you know, at least another year to develop. Uh, and then tight ends, of course. I mean, the tight end talent deficiency has been apparent for years. They can, all, <laughs> they can always use better tight ends, uh, you know, at, at that that position for sure. So um, those are certainly two that I would, I would identify as uh, – but if I, if I could, I would choose quarterback and defensive tackle if I could only choose two. Would be my two. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think quarterback absolutely is it for every reason you listed out. The interesting thing about tight end, and that tight end specifically, Dustin, from LSU, uh, Pokes Report wrote about this. Like The idea of an inline tight end is not something that has been you know, something we've thought of as Oklahoma State fans for a at least a decade we've been clamoring for the so days of Brandon Pettigrew as opposed to a converted defensive end or converted wide receiver yeah uh, yes okay. yes and a for lack of a better word a tight end um if you had one of those it might open you up to some mismatches maybe enable you to run different running schemes counterplays and then really kind of hammer those inline mismatches i really liked that point and I love the idea of having him and Blaine Green somewhere in the H back spot. I don't know. It it would allow you a lot more flexibility with your formation. So I'm I'm in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, if if they were to offer any other kind of tight end or defensive tackle, I, I know quarterback, it seems like Brendan Armstrong's kind of the guy they're targeting right now. And he's he's looking at Oklahoma State and Wisconsin, but it would probably be another guy like a Kenneth Harris who we don't really hear about until they commit because 
the guys we've talked about on this podcast, Devin Phillips, Parashan, Nick Gargiulio, Shane Cox, Ray Davis, a lot of those, I know those are all kind of over the place with positions, but these guys have all committed. So really the only guys left out there, Cole Taylor that we've offered, Brendan Armstrong, Kendarren Ray, the safety from Tulsa, who it sounds like we're still in the mix for, but it's, it's going to be, I think kind of a new group of offers, visits, maybe a commitment without an offer that we knew about. So it, it'll be interesting to see as we keep moving through the portal. I believe it, you know, quote unquote closes on January 18th and then the dead period ends after the college football playoffs. So I think things would start to pick up kind of after the new year. And I, I don't think Oklahoma state's done on either end. As Adam, you alluded to, I think people are going to go out and I think some more guys are going to come in. How do we feel about cornerback? I mean, we we good with where things are at with Jabbar out, Kenneth Harris in, some really young depth pieces. I can go through the scholarship guys right right now. I have them up. So we've got Corey Black, Jordan Regan, Cam Smith, the Kelvian Beeman, who also I know can play some some strikes, some nickel. Uh, Kale Smith, Cam Epps, R.J. Lester, D.J. McKinney, and Dylan Smith, along with Kenneth Harris. I mean, I think. I, it's it's a like kind of like a two pronged answer because like would you like to have Jabbar Muhammad and uh, even Corey Black coming back with experience? Yes, of course. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of talent on that. That's 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 a long list. One, what was that? Eight names, nine names. Yeah, um, I think you had to ten if you had Harris. And and there's some of my favorite players on the roster on the team selfishly. Uh, and, and then also too, there's some players that potentially didn't make that list that could, could make the transition over from safety. I mean, we've seen that, that safety, the cornerback, um, you know, that there's, there's not, there's not a big barrier between that in terms of OSU's roster. There's a lot of movement back and forth. So, uh, I feel like just from a sheer talent perspective, incredibly comfortable with that list. Experience-wise and rep-wise, not so much. But, I mean, that's that's college football. Um, so that's the way I would answer that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I just think that gap between, you know, Corey Black and Kenneth Harrison, then what we know, we know that the talent is there. Um, we know you're a huge Dylan McKinney fan. We are too. Um it's just that gap of experience kind of leaves you wondering, but quite frankly, it kind of goes back to your original comment, Adam, save the NIL money for a defensive tackle. Maybe if it does, if it doesn't go to defensive tackle, then maybe we just stop talking about it. This is kind of where I am kind of feeling right now. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, I mean, who, who just real quick to stay on corner, who are your four in the two deep? And they don't, this doesn't have to be starters and twos, just the four guys that you think are in the mix for that. Is it, Cam Smith, DJ McKinney, Corey Black, Kenneth Harris at this point, if nobody else gets added. It's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, it, I think a lot of it. So I really like Beeman too, but I feel like that it's more likely he, every single, I, I, I say this a lot and then it never happens. Um, but I still feel like he's going to play that. I always forget what they call it, but the slot corner, Tom Sharper spot. Yeah. Yeah. Strike. Um, because he's got good size. He's got a really solid athleticism. And I think the knock on Harper was, is he would get bodied up in the slot quite a bit on those slot fades and stuff like that, where Beeman could add some value there. Um, so Beeman, wherever he lines up, Beeman is like 
super talented. Um, and he's one of these guys, I think, that's been flying under the radar, kind of like a dog mentality. I don't know if you guys remember, but he graduated a year early, um, like a full year, not a semester. It wasn't like a mid-year thing. Like he reclassified, um, which I think takes a lot of confidence. So I, I, I think McKinney, Smith, yeah, the four you listed is probably, you know, you can't, you can't just gloss over the experience that Kenneth Harris is going to bring. Um, 50% reception, like, uh, re, you know, completion percentage, even, I don't even know what conference Arizona State's in, or Arkansas, I can't even say the damn state right. Um, <laughs> They're Sunbelt, aren't they? Yeah. The, yeah, Sunbelt, whatever. Uh, like, for example, Jamar Muhammad, I think, was closer to 60%. So, in terms of completion percentage. So, I would say, yeah, that'd probably be the four that I would choose. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Well, there was a lot in the transfer portal going on, but there wasn't nearly as much there as there is in signing day. I mean, obviously, that's the big story of the day. Um, Dustin, I know you've got a position group breakdown, but let's just kind of before we even get to that, overall gut feeling on this. 24-7 actually ranks the uh, composite ranking of this class at 62 and the transfer ranking at 5. So it puts you at 38 overall. It's an interesting thing to note as you assess this recruiting class as a whole. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. I, I think my thing here is obviously we're going to get into the thirties. <laughs> Anyone that thought we weren't going to get into the thirties ranking wise, but it's all said and done. Feels like 38 is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think they address some positions of need. I think they missed on a couple of guys. There's still some guys out there like a Jelani McDonald who, you know, I think Texas is probably the front runner there, but Oklahoma State's still in the mix for. It's not the shiniest, best overall class, but I think along the the high school guys with the JUCO guys, along with the transfer portal, I think they did what they needed to do outside of that interior defensive tackle spot. So, you know, I'm not mad at it, but I, I definitely think there were some spots they maybe they maybe could have addressed a little bit better. Some guys they maybe missed on, but overall I'm not, I'm not disappointed in this class. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's, if you look at the holistic strategy of OSU, usually it's, they'll go find their kids, right. That they kind of meet that criteria. And then they're going to go after a handful of uh, what we would call studs, the, the, you know, the, the Shetrons and the Kendall Daniels of the world. Um, and, you know, more, basically just they whiffed on all of them. Not only that, the ones that committed, uh, decommitted. You know, Billy Walton, I mean, basically both to Texas if McDonald ends up at, at Texas, which McDonald is going to burn because, you know, they were all over him. They were one of the first teams to offer him. He committed before he even really had uh, other, I mean, he was like a low-end three-star when he committed. Then he explodes and ends up in a you know top hundred recruit, and and then all of a sudden Texas comes calling and he's listening, you know, which is that's got to that's got to pain that's got to be painful. But um, you know, is it going to win any awards? No. Um, is it is it really disappointing that they weren't able to sign more defensive linemen? Yes. Um, overall, it was going to be a small class from the get go based on uh, spots available, um, and there are some really really good players in this class. So. Certainly mixed results, um, but you know a lot to be a lot to be excited about. And then you know obviously the the elephant in the room is a lot of the the problems that we've discussed are either already answered in the transfer uh, transfer class or could potentially be covered up 
in, in future portal editions. So, yeah, I, I I don't disagree at all. I I agree with the defensive line notion. It's interesting because you look at guys on this list like Cam Franklin, Cameron Hurd, even a Jacoby Sanders. I'll throw out like, and I'll I'll leave Zane Flores out of this conversation because he's kind of the 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 gem of the class. I would I would say we would agree on that. Um, you can see the tools but not necessarily the recruiting profile to follow these kids that it's, it's these classic Mike Gundy recruits. We've talked about this for years now, but Dustin, I'll throw it over to you kind of for a full breakdown and then we'll, we'll move on into the position groups. Yeah. I I think if you want to start position group wise, I say, if you guys are good with it, we can just start with offensive line since we kind of went heavy on them for a little bit in the transfer portal as well. So they've got from the offensive line, they got Isaiah Kima, Offensive line, 6'4", 298 pounds out of Wolferth, Friendship, Texas. Jacoby Sanders from Stillwater, 6'3", 295 pounds. Gage Stanlin from Tuscola, Texas, 6'4", 275 pounds. And then Jack N. Dean, 6'6", 295 from Tucson, Arizona. I, I like all these guys. Obviously, with Kima, he's going on the religious mission, so... He's not going to be here for a couple of years, so we can kind of leave him out for now, hit on him a little bit. Of the other three, I really like all these guys. For me and Dean, if you watch his film, he just absolutely dominates, but he's also playing 2A Arizona high school football. So you're going you're gonna to think he's going to need a little bit of time to develop there, going up against some bigger competition when he gets to the Big 12. Standalone kind of same thing there at in 3A. Texas football, really dominant. I actually I did a full Twitter thread on him. I really liked watching him. And then Jacoby Sanders is in 6A, and he's a guy who his junior season, if you go back and watch kind of his huddle film or some of the games from that season, he's moving around. He's kind of getting up to the second level really well. He put on some size weight-wise and strength-wise, and you can see that his senior year but I think he lost maybe a little bit of speed, a little bit of kind of his foot quickness. But when he gets a hold of somebody, I, I know they call him Mr. Pancake. He he just smashes them into the ground. So I, I like all three. All three of them, I think, have some things they need to work on. I wouldn't say any could be guys like an Austin Kowecki who come in and push for a too deep spot as soon as next year. But, but I do like all three, and I, I'm glad they took three offensive linemen technically four if you count Kima in this class. I think that's what Oklahoma State would want, right, is not their freshmen coming in and competing. I mean, that's what we've had, and that hadn't got us very far. Yeah, for, for sure. Well, and I think that's a great way to, to, to summarize what this class is. I mean, this is these are the offensive line recruits that have been building the foundation for the line throughout the entire Gundy tenure. These are – Jacoby Sanders that is, you know, his, his head is, his shoulders are over his heels. He's leaning over, he, he's getting his hands into you and he's driving you back 15 yards, but it's like, okay, cool. Like that's still water. Like you get a decent defensive lineman that does a, you know, one pull and rip and then you're on the ground, you know, so that stuff doesn't work at the next level. So there's, there's, there's a pretty consistent theme along all of them with the exception of Kima, who is, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. He's definitely the most naturally talented of the four. I don't think there's any question about some technique and, and 
um, you know, there's, there's a little bit more of a refined nature, whereas really the, especially the uh, Sanders and the kid from Jim Ned high school, by the way, which is a great uh, high school name, uh, <laughs> Stanaland are just like grinder interior defensive line or offensive linemen. Um, the um, Jack Indeen is interesting because he's the only tackle of the bunch. Um, I, I don't think he'll ever be inside. Um, I, I don't know. This is just like, I'm just making this criteria up as I'm going, but if you're an interior lineman, you should want to bury someone into the ground every single block. And that's not him. He's more of a finesse guy. So likely he's taller, more, um, he doesn't have that killer mentality. So, uh, so it's a good mix, which by the way, that's, I wanted to share my theory on this podcast of with Indeen. Uh, he plays, for a bad team in 2A Arizona football. I mean, the competition was atrocious, right? So I've been thinking about this for a while. I think part of OSU's strategy is recruiting players that play on awful teams. Uh, And I actually (laughs) pulled the record on – so here are the records on the ones that I have. 14-0, 4 and 7, 8 and 4, 4 and 8, 5 and 6, 3 and 7, 9 and 3. Uh I didn't get whatever Dell City went. Uh 12 and 3, Cam Franklin went to the state title game. 8 and 3, 12 and 1. And that's that. But have in mind these are players that are going to a Power 5 school. You go look at these other schools and it's going to be a lot of 10 11 and 12 win seasons. How many three and four win teams did I just name? This is half the class. They played for three win teams. And Adam, you and I were talking about other guys at this. I mean, your theory makes sense because, you know, we were talking off air about guys like the Harper brothers when, when they were at Carnes in Tennessee, I think Thomas's last year, they won two games. So it, it makes sense. And then these guys end up kind of being, diamond in the rough, but I think some of the bigger schools and Gundy even alluded to this when he was asked about Tywin Ray, the, the safety from Georgia that they got, how, you know, I, I think just some of these bigger schools sometimes don't look at the teams that aren't doing as good, even in the bigger class divisions. Cause I think he's in one of the bigger ones in Georgia. So it, it's really, they went three and seven, by the way. Yeah. So Tywin it's, Ray. It, it, it's interesting. Like to see, to see this stuff, like, and it's worked out for Oklahoma state so far. And they're getting some of these guys that they're ending up ending up, you know, quote unquote developing, but maybe they were just pretty good players all along on bad teams. I'll say it. That information is dangerous in the wrong fans hands. Like you, you, you realize that Mike Gundy's recruiting maybe intentionally, maybe there's something there on teams that stink. Oh man. I can, yeah, I can it's gotta see be the tweets now. It's got to be intentional. Like, there's no way because not only are these some of the worst teams in high school football, but a lot of them are in one, two, three, and four A. There's only two or three of these uh, uh, players that played at the top level in their area, or maybe four. So, 25% or less of the class, and one of them is Sanders, which is six A in uh, in Oklahoma, which isn't even the the good six A, the one with Bixby in it and all that. I don't, um, I don't even know what 6A1B yeah. or whatever it is called. Uh, 
So it's, I know we're talking about O-line, but it was a good segue into that because Jack and Dean played against such bad competition that it was hard to evaluate him, uh, which, which kind of kickstarted the the wheels turning upstairs for me. (laughs) Okay. So I ask you guys this, then we can move off O-line. Let's let's exclude Kima, which Adam, you're right. I heard someone in the press conference also call him Kema, so I, I don't know which one it is either. Excluding him of the other three, who do you think ends up being the most impactful player at Oklahoma State in their in their college career? That's a tough one. Um, and remember, this is recorded, so we'll definitely hold you to it. <laughs> Well, I've never been wrong before, so we'll cut out the uh, dead air while we're both thinking, and then we'll cut it if it's no good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would probably say Sanders. He's he's probably the best, like the mauler with like average feet of the bunch. Um, so I would probably lean towards him, but I think he's a he's a redshirt junior type starter. And and not before would be my my assessment. I I would agree with him because Mike Gundy talked about his strength specifically in that press conference, which I wouldn't overlook. I mean, strength isn't everything on the offensive line, but it is something, and it'll get you get you somewhere. I I like that that was called out, and I I really don't have any other reason other than I think. I think playing at that high level in Dean's a little bit of a question mark because of the reasons already discussed and we're excluding Kim and that leaves you with really two options in my opinion. And I'll take Sanders just from the physical tools that he has. Yeah. I, I think with Sanders, my thing, I kind of, uh, I mentioned it when I bro- like gave the kind of preview of the offensive line commits, but He's, he's insanely strong. It's almost like if you're playing a video game, you want to bring a strength slider down a little bit and give it to the feet, and then he's <laughs> he's ready to roll. And and I know it's there because, like I said, if you go watch his junior tape, when he weighed, I think, like 25 pounds lighter, he moves much quicker. So I think once he gets in there with Rob Glass and they're able to kind of balance out that, hey, we want to keep you at this weight strength, but we also want to, you know, get you to the point where you can move around like you were doing. If he's able to find that balance, I think you guys are right. I think he could be the real key piece of this offensive line class. So um, moving on from offensive line, let's switch to the other side of the ball. Let's talk defensive line. So they've got Jaden Foreman from Dell City, 6'3", 250 pounds. Iman or Iman Oates. The defensive tackle, 6'3", 305 from NEO. He's Tulsa Edison High School. Ricky Lolahia from Euless Trinity, where Ollie Gordon is from, 6'4", 275 pounds. I, I think all these guys are kind of developmental pieces. I really like Jaden Foreman. Not only his play on the field, but I think he was Oklahoma State's first commit out of this class, and he stuck with them through the entire time. That's always great, but... I think the key piece to me is getting a 300 plus pound guy that's played, I know at the Juco level, but a a level above high school in Oats that can come in and probably add to your two deep right away 
and the fact that he's going to, I know he's enrolling early and everything. I think he's kind of the key piece there because I think he's the only one of these three guys that you could kind of slot into the interior defensive line too deep on day one, even though I still, obviously we talked about, they still need to go get some more guys, but I think he's kind of my favorite out of the three. What, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Cade? I agree. He was kind of the one I had circled. I like Jaden Foreman. I think there's a question for me. I mean, he's he's 6'3", 250. He's not going to contribute immediately at that size, I don't think, with with his skill set, which leads you to Eamon Oates. Like, he, he does fill a position of need and has played at a level higher than high school. So for that reason... I think he's a little bit more significant of a pickup. You and I talked about him last week. It sounded like he was maybe even leaning SMU. So to see that come back all the way to Oklahoma State, you're like, okay, that's something you can work with. But I'll say that if he's starting day one, I don't know what that <laughs> what that says. But I only say that because it's not like – I guess it would be impossible if they go make some moves in the transfer portal in the spring. But right now he's competing. So it, it's an interesting – uh, you know, kind of delineation. Yeah, I think Oates is the biggest signee of the group just because of what we've already talked about, <laughs> the holes and the fact that this is such a position. And and I do think Oates is not just a spot filler. Like, he's a pretty good player. Is he a f- like a total stud? No, but he's he's – I think I was reading somewhere that he's, he's 310, 305, 310 – um, and he's he's strong. He's got some pretty pretty good upper body strength. Like I was watching some tape from him, where he's winning. Um, you know, he he's winning by you know doing some some rips and some some pulls and uh, and what I call like shoulder tosses. I don't know if there's an official name for it, but um, he's winning a lot of those battles that, that that we would need him to to win on those double teams. So. You know, who knows if he starts, but he'll definitely probably be in the two deep. So that's incredibly important. Uh, Foreman is what I just call like a motor guy. So he's he doesn't have crazy acceleration or get up off of the snap, but he's going to win with strength and effort and energy. And a lot of times that you may think I'm saying like, that's, you know, a pat on the back for participation, but like, that's a real thing. Like there are players in the NFL that like, like actually put their game around just being that individual. So, uh, and I think Gunny mentioned he's going to be like up in the 280, 290 range with his frame. So he's going to be a strong side defensive end. Definitely developmental, you know, two years, three years down the line. And then the Ricky L um, <laughs> mentioned he's already over 300 already, and they're going to trim him down like 10 or 15 pounds. That's he like ballooned up from when yeah. he got committed. I think he was well, like he, 280. He was injured. I think he was injured and something happened there. Um, which, by the way, he went to Trinity, uh, which is one of the best, historically one of the best programs in Texas. They went four and seven this year. So <laughs> they suck too. Uh, so anyways, um, I, I think he could be, he could be that defensive tackle in the future, but that doesn't fix anything in the near, in the near in the near term. So um, again, probably more of a, a one or three tech defensive tackle because he's not overly quick. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's an okay class, uh, you know, slight disappointment, I would say. 
One of the things I like about Oates, sorry, Dustin, real quick, is it he seems to have a decent kind of idea of what's going on around him. There's a couple of plays in his film that really stand out as like, there's a screenplay, and we've seen defensive tackles get washed up in that. But there was a couple of times where he he catches it and really runs to the perimeter and makes a really good play. So one of the things I liked when I was watching him was some of that play recognition. Um, in addition to some of his maybe average to above average strength, I, I liked that as well. Is is he the only guy now on the roster outside of, let's say Samuela leaves, decides not to take his COVID year. Is Oates the only guy on the roster right now that could kind of fill that a C spot and sometimes play that zero tech? Is there is he the the only guy right now that you would feel comfortable even throwing out there at that spot? Him or Colin Clay, probably. I mean, yeah, Colin, I, Colin Clay's three, you know, over three hundred now, so. Not Xavier Ross. That's not him. He plays too high. Um, probably. Aiden Kelly's on the – there's just not that even that many guys. We already yeah. mentioned it. Yeah, they just don't have that many. So, probably probably so. Him or Clay. It's interesting. It's going to be an interesting position to watch. Uh, I think we're being kind of negative right now, so let's <laughs> let's go ahead and move on from the defensive line. But we'll go, we'll go next to cornerback. We've got Dylan Smith, the younger brother of Cam Smith, six foot, 170 pound from Denton Broswell. RJ Lester, the K State decommit and flip, cornerback, 6'2, 185 pounds out of Fort Smith, Arkansas, Northside High School. I like both of these guys a lot. Gundy went out of his way to bring up Lester in the press conference, uh, unprovoked. I think he was just asked about who else in the class that he really liked. And I think he said Lester's a guy we haven't even talked about and kind of went on about him. So again, both developmental guys, I don't think either of them will crack the two deep, but I really like what Lester brings to the table. And I think it was a pretty big late flip to get him kind of off from Kansas state. He had some other, you know, Tulane, LSU, Mississippi state, all kind of interested in him. So um, either of these guys kind of stick out to you two. um, And who's your favorite of the two? Um, <laughs> I am, I'm head of RJ Lester's fan club. Like, uh, I don't know how the hell they found this kid. Uh, but he's like incredibly impressed, uh, size, length, f- fluid, like fluid in his hips. He's got great closing speed. Um, you know, he, he played a lot of zone coverage in their scheme. So, you know, a lot of it is basically, you know, with his eyes into the quarterback. Uh, so he's got really good awareness um, playing in a lot of that. I, I think he's probably more of like the what what uh, Corey Black is playing, like the field cornerback because his length. But he's got a 100 time of 11.5, which is pretty damn good for someone at that size. Apparently, I, I didn't see if it was laser timed or whatever, but someone's got him clocked at 4.48. Um which, by the way, he played for a four and eight team in Arkansas. Um, so just plugging <laughs> that. Uh, I'm going to keep plugging my theory. Um, absolute steal at the buzzer. Uh, and I don't know how Tim Duffy keeps doing this, uh, but pulled something out. I knew Dylan Smith is kind of the headliner because it's Cam Smith's brother. Uh, I didn't get a good feel for Dylan Smith because 
so much of his tape is at wide receiver. Honestly, I, I would think about him playing wide receiver at OSU. I know he's he's probably going to play cornerback. Um, his his wide receiver tape looks pretty good. He is a a a solid athlete. Um, but I, I just I wasn't able to gather enough to potentially give like a really strong impression of what he is as a a, um, a cornerback. Which, by the way, Denton Braswell went three and seven um, uh, from <laughs> Dylan Smith, uh, but. Dylan Smith's another premier athlete, 11, 700 time played basketball, ran track. Uh, these are two good athletes, but Lester, I think is the one that won't provide the publicity, but actually is the best cornerback of the class. I love that. Seems like kind of the Dylan McKinney vibe of last year. When we brought you on, you were waving the flag and he's probably going to contribute this year. Lester has, he looks kind of ready to go now. Like not, not that he could, start day one I'm not saying that but he looks like he could be out there kind of like a cam smith was this year and kind of know what's going on i, I think he's a guy i, I, I said looks too. like an early contributor in my notes so yep. he and adam correct me if i'm wrong but it seemed I, I also wrote down a lot of zone coverage in his huddle tape but they they put him kind of at that like star linebacker yeah. spot. It seemed yeah. like a lot like the strong safety linebacker hybrid. And he would come after the quarterback sometimes on a blitz. And, and he didn't look out of place as a linebacker. I mean, that's how big he is. Like he's yeah, a big I, player. I think he's somebody that you could see. We talked about earlier, the cornerback to safety switch. I think he's a guy you could see, you know, maybe even play some linebacker at some point so it's he's definitely a very talented guy i really liked him a lot like you said the four four eight forty time is big time and then dylan smith whoever uh if they're listening to this podcast hopefully they don't take this as too much of a shot but whoever cut his huddle tape did not do a very good job like they cut it like in the middle of the plays and stuff like i had no idea it was happening and you couldn't see what was going on it was and then, like like Adam said, a lot of the plays were a wide receiver, so a little odd there. But I really like Lester. He played uh, in seven A in Arkansas, so they uh, they like to go one higher there to be a little bit better than everybody else. But <laughs> Adam, what did, you, what did you what did you say his high high school record was? Uh, Smith or Lester? No, I'm sorry, Lester. Four and eight. Yeah, play a little linebacker. You got to put your best player right in the middle of the field. I get it. I would have done the same thing. If if I uh, one note I was gonna make I totally just lost my train of thought. Well, oh oh no I got it I got it. So both of these are 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 really like really really solid fluid athletes. Uh, the only thing that the only knock I would say on Lester is is because they moved him around so much he is a little bit raw and the fact that he played so much zone coverage he is a little bit raw like on core fundamental cornerback skills which when I when I look at a cornerback I'm like okay when they're impressed. Like, are they able to like, you know, are they, um, are they playing them? Are they playing their hips? Are they using their hands? Are they able to run like turn and run and then, you know, find the ball and all that stuff. Um, he's a little raw from that perspective. So he's got some things that, but there's another player, no, uh, hint for, you know, in the future that I'll talk about that not only is a premier athlete, but also is, is super refined, uh, in the DB space. So anyways, Lester, that'd be the only knock I have on him. So. I saw one note that he played his junior season through two broken hands. I don't know how that's possible. Real, real but. football guy. Hashtag football guy. 
So that's okay. why he's my favorite. Not for anything that Adam Arcade said, but that just that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm, alone, so. I'm podcasting with what I think might be a torn meniscus, but I'm not really sure yet. So is that wait, are we not? Um, By the way, Ladarius Webb is a corner too, right? Or are you counting him as a safety? So I was kind of going off these notes that I had earlier. I had him put it that nickel spot just because that's what everybody's been writing about. On all of his film, he's playing, he's playing corner. So we can hit him now if you want to wrap him up and we can kind of, we can move into safeties as well, but we can go with the Ladarius Webb. So Ladarius Webb, cornerback, safety, 5'10", 175 pounds from Jones College in Mississippi, from Jackson Academy, uh, was his high school, the son of Ladarius Webb, former NFL Super Bowl winner, just recently named a junior college first-team All-American. And Adam, because you kind of took over there, I'll just flip it over for you for a little bit more on him. Well, I think he would be alongside Kenneth Harris, would be a good replacement for Jabbar Muhammad and potentially um, between them two um, maybe we could see one of them take that spot but he's he's small he's not big he's 5'10 probably 180 185 like similar size to Jabbar uh, and I think you know when I'm t- when I'm talking when I'm thinking about that boundary cornerback or whatever I want someone that's like twitchy fast you know um, because you know if you think about it if you're into the boundary you don't like you know I mean this isn't anything scientific like you are closer to the ball right so you don't have as much reaction time um so you need to be a little bit more sudden a little quicker um i see that with him 100 times 11.06 which is really good uh that's really fast um he's got that closing speed though like that's what really stood out to me um and then also i think he had six interceptions some of them were luck but he's got good ball (laughs) skills and I think that comes that comes out in the film. So he he might be. I mean, we talked about earlier. The, the, all these players could end up anywhere in the, the secondary. So he could be that Thomas Harper player. Um, but I would give him a hard look at that boundary cornerback for Muhammad. So I, I thought he looked like a really good tackler as yeah. well on film. I agree. Is he? Is he your? Fi- I know we haven't. I haven't run through the safeties yet. But is he your favorite of this class in the defensive backfield? No. Okay. I want to know. I'm dying. <laughs> I knew what the. I knew his answer was going to be no. So I'll so, read through the other couple real quick, and I'll let Adam get to his guy. But we've got Cam Franklin, six three hundred ninety five pounds from Oak Grove, Louisiana. If you remember Cam Franklin, Ole Miss and TCU were coming after him hard. He committed to Oklahoma State early, kept with it, even though he was taking visits. You know, the the Gundy of old might have just kind of pushed him on his way after that, but they kept him around, and he was one of the first guys Gundy's mentioned in his presser. And then we have the guy, Tywin Ray, Smyrna, Georgia, Campbell High School, 6'3", 85 pounds. Adam, I'll just, I don't, won't even say anything else about him. I'll just flip it to you. Three and seven record for Campbell High School. Um, so terrible team. So Tywin Ray is my number one player in the class. Uh, and he apparently does not have a 247 rating at all. Uh, he is behind, behind Hudson Cock. I'm just going to say <laughs> it. I don't know. Uh, who is a two star, 0.7922. Taiwan uh, Ray Jr. has zero rating, and he doesn't have 
an FBS offer other than OSU, as far as I can see. Uh, no, I'm sorry, FIU is his only FBS offer. So I would just like round of applause to Derek Mason, Tim Duffy, Hammer, whoever was involved, like amazing prospects, 6'3", 185. He's listed as a safety, but he played – all over the place. I think he played edge. He played linebacker. He played uh, like safety in the slot. I even saw a few snaps at cornerback. Um, he is fluid. He is athletic. He is fast and he's refined, uh, which is amazing because I think he, he was from Milwaukee and then I'm assuming got lost somewhere in the shuffle, moved to Georgia, played for a terrible team. And I'm assuming that's how no one knew about this kid, but he has a few reps where he's backpedaling and I, I like a lot of coaches may hear this where you may have seen those, those uh, drills at the combine where they do the backpedal and then they, they flip and then run incredibly smooth and natural uh, at that size, six, three, 185. Uh, and then also too, Dustin, I sent you this clip of him, that interception, which of course the cameraman missed the actual interception uh, hashtag high school football. But this He's in zone coverage, basically more or less trying to cover a screen, feels a vertical route behind him and just instinctively runs with the vertical route and goes and wins a 50-50 ball in the air. Um, so, I mean, not only is he a fluid athlete, but he's also I incredibly, like, he seems experienced, has good awareness. He has good, like, business – or, I'm sorry, I was going to say business acumen. Uh, he has good, like, football knowledge. He might. Um, <laughs> advanced ability to read the cornerback. He feels the space behind him uh, in zone coverage. Uh, I will say he he really is uh, confident in his eyes. So he'll probably have a tendency to get smoked a few times when a quarterback gives him a pump fake or something like that. But incredibly impressive. Uh, one of the best unranked players I've ever seen. So I'll stop there. I don't know. That was... So I'm looking at my bullet points and I wrote these down while I was watching his huddle tape. And this was before you and I had texted because your breakdowns with the videos were way better than these stupid bullet points. I wrote, looks like he could play bandit, which is the strong safety. Then three bullet points later, I wrote or corner. And then a couple down, I was like, or linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, th this guy's a freak. I, it So Adam, you kind of moved to, I, I wanted to walk through this and Kate, I mentioned this to you as well. So he's originally from a Milwaukee suburb in Wisconsin and his numbers at that school just didn't pop. I don't think the school is very big. He moves to an Atlanta suburb. And is on a terrible team, Adam, like you mentioned, Derek Mason goes out there three and a half weeks ago to visit him. Doesn't have any power five offers, just one FBS offer in general. And then he basically silent commits without ever announcing an offer. This feels like it could be an all time Oklahoma state, Mike Gundy diamond in the rough steal find. And we could, you know, the chance we're overhyping it, but Adam, you obviously give great analysis on it. I know Cade feels similar, and so do I. And we're, I mean, all three of us combined equals probably one normal human brain. So I think it's got, I think this has the potential to be like an all-time get for Oklahoma State. Is that 
Is that too crazy, Cade? No, I just want to point out, though, we said the words all time. We said best ever, <laughs> unranked. I just want to point out, you are right there that we probably just served up a whole lot of Kool-Aid. However, the film speaks for itself. I agree with you, Adam, when you sent it yesterday, it was like, it was kind of what I was thinking, but not, not to the point where it's like, okay, now there's, I, I truly believe there's something here. He's an impressive kid. And I don't know how a kid like that flies under the radar in the heart of sec country like that. It has to be Adam, your theory. It's gotta, it's gotta be. I mean, there's no, what's other... the answer. He's got 70 tackles, eight pass breakups, five interceptions. He's 6'3, 190. Has I don't he didn't run track. That's another thing, too. We don't know how fast he is. He he he, he said four 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 three with a 39-inch vertical. That's what he said. And did you see uh or well, actually uh where did I see that? I saw that too now I'm thinking about it. But did you see his tweet though that said that like I won't I won't disappoint you or something? Like he's got he knows he knows that he's a stud and he's getting overlooked and he's like, I'm not going to let you down. Like I'm going to make you look good is more or less the way I took his tweet. And and maybe I'm overthinking that, but if you mix all of that together, I think that's what you, you know, that's why I think that because him and his coaching staff and all these people know that this kid is legit and got overlooked. He's- he doesn't even have a rating. He's not, he's a zero star. He, he's nothing on two. They don't even know who he is. We this stuff remember, doesn't happen. We need to remember the zero star. So when somebody goes back and they're like, well, he was a, he was a mid three star. Once he gets that rating from two, four, seven, we'll go. Yeah, no. We're going to call him out. He was, a he was just nothing. <laughs> we remember. And so does, so does Taiwan. Cause he said in his tweet, they came and got a sleeper. I won't ever forget it. Now back to work. I, yes. I think he knows. He's got a chip on his, like, you know, that's so cliche. You got a chip on his shoulder. This kid's got a chip on his shoulder. It's real. He's not even, he doesn't have a rival's profile as far as I can see. It's got to be that move from Milwaukee, which is not is necessarily a, a recruited. Yeah. Are we getting punked? Like, is this one of those like NCAA football, you know, uh, video game <laughs> characters that now has their recruiting profile? People do that. It's really strange. But anyway. <laughs> Well, okay. I think we we got everything we needed to say out about Ray Jr. So what about Cam Franklin? This, this is a guy that I think, I know personally, I thought throughout the entire recruiting process, we were going to lose him. He's a really talented player. Again, at a smaller school, 2A in Louisiana, but when you when you watch this guy on film, he he's extremely talented. He also is a guy that kind of played more of that star, strong safety linebacker spot, extremely physical. I, I mean, most of the time he was kind of in an overhang position as, as a opposed to a, like a free safety spot. So I really liked him. I thought he had good field vision. Looks like looks fast. Apparently his laser time forty was four four. Don't know if I believe it, but that's very fast. And he had a lot of big schools looking at him, like I mentioned. What What do you guys think about Cam? Before Before anyone count, <laughs> comments, did anyone happen to see one of his block punts? Actually, it wasn't a block punt. He literally closed line the punter in the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if the punter is not trying to punt, like you just tackle him or something. But, 
uh, anyways, I, I will give th that needed to be identified because I was in a, like literally closed line to punter NFL blitz style outside of the end zone. And it was impressive. Uh, I, I think um, to answer your question, Dustin, um, really interesting prospect, almost a conflicting prospect kind of gives me uh, Trey Flowers vibes in terms of his size, like really rangy, definitely like almost like a Jalen Petrie because he's like a safety size but he plays like a, almost a, like an overhang edge <laughs> like almost exclusively in high school and played like he basically rushed the passer a lot uh i don't know if they just pressured all the time but all of the the reps i saw like a very i didn't see a whole lot of him like as a true safety uh so you know almost not at all yeah it was like i guess they just keep all players around the line of scrimmage in that scheme or something, uh, which I respect uh, old school Jim Knowles style. Um, but, you know, I think he's, he's definitely in that, that list, that upper category of an early contributor. He's rangy. He's a multi he plays basketball track, great pursuit speed. Um, you know, he, he's one of those, whatever safety they have, like, for example, a lot of times, you know, Jason Taylor will hover around the line of scrimmage and provide that additional run support like he's that guy that can you know he can roll up over the top but he may make his living in the intermediate um so i, I think he's a really good player and nice find and obviously people were after him unlike the previous player we were talking about so well dustin i'm with you we talked about this a few times i i thought he was good as gone for quite some time and then he stuck around stuck around stuck around and then it just kind of all died out, and he signs with Oklahoma State today. I'll also agree with you. I think the 4-4 is a little generous. However, I like his range. I like his leaping ability when he does it. Um, I, I, I think he's got some tools to be an interesting prospect. I don't, I don't think he's going to be ready to go day one um, as much as some people might want, as he's kind of a bigger name in this class. I, I I think he's not all the way there yet. And I, I do think he's kind of a tweener. I don't know exactly what they're going to try to do with him. I could see him playing that Kendall Daniels spot, but is he big enough? Like, is he going to put on enough weight? I don't know. So I I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with him down the line. Yeah, no, I agree. We'll do one more position group on the defense. we got the linebackers and then we'll switch to, we'll just do the wide receiver quarterback together. Those last two, but at linebacker, two guys, uh, Poesa, Utu, and then Ike. I still haven't heard anybody pronounce it, <laughs> and everyone called him Ike in the presser today. I think it's uh, is Sanwune. Uh, so both of these guys, really talented. Utu is from Kennedale, Texas, 6'1", 210 pounds. Ike is 6'2", 215 pounds from Maynard, Texas. He was formally committed to Tulsa and then decommitted and flipped to Oklahoma State. I really like, out of, out of these two, I like both guys, but I really liked Ike, just overall his athleticism on film. I think, you know, he's a little raw, it looked like to me, but I definitely think this is somebody that can contribute at some point at the Power 5 level. And then Utu, I'm not saying he is Trace Ford, but watching his film... He reminded me of a Trace Ford. He went to the down and dirty Oklahoma State lineman camp 
as an edge guy. And Joe Bob Clements said, Hey, we're going to recruit this kid as a linebacker. But if you watch his high school film, he's kind of that Leo edge spot, but he would stand up. He'd put his hand in the ground. He almost did the exact same hand in the ground form that Ford would do at times this season. So that that's kind of why it stuck out to me there. But I, I like both of these guys. Who who is uh who is your favorite of the two, Adam? Well, one thing that I would mention, um, well, well, to answer your question before I move on, uh, Ike is definitely my favorite of the two, uh, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Super smooth athlete, um, played. All these guys play like a million positions. I don't know if it's like, it's got to be a trend or something, but he played edge. He played safety. He played linebacker. He played wide receiver. Um, but he's, he's sudden, he's fluid. He transitions well in and out of his stance and in his own coverage. Um, he, he has some like swag to him too. Like he's one of those, like he's a willing blockers wide receiver. I know these are like small details that maybe some people don't care about, but when you're a wide receiver and you're, you're not even a wide receiver, the guy's a linebacker. Uh, but he's playing wide receiver and he's willing to block. Like, I think that says something about him. And he's one of those guys that's going to like knock, knock you on the ground and like stand up above you and get a 15 yard penalty. Uh, like that's, <laughs> and like, you gotta, you gotta contain that, but that's the type of person he is. Um, he was another person that I, that I would uh, lump in there with Lester as really, really good finds that they were able to flip that are under recruited. Um, he, he's interesting from that aspect. Like, I think he's going to be a really good player and I'm excited about him. I like him more now. Utu or however you say his name is one of the most unique players I've seen in a while. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. I mean, he's undersized. I have him at six foot. He doesn't look six foot, um, but on two, four, seven, he's six foot. Uh, and it, he, he's lining up at, <laughs> defensive end basically yeah he looks uh, bigger than 205 too. yes he does and he did you see his production he had yeah. 41 it tackles for loss he's apparently he's six foot 205 at defensive end which is even undersized at cannondale which by the way they were better than the rest they were eight and four uh in four a right yeah, yeah. He had 41 tackles for loss and 19 sacks. Uh, I mean, just an ex like a bowling ball of acceleration. Super explosive on the line of scrimmage. Incredibly undersized. Uh, super heavy hands. I, I don't see how you can play this kid at, wide at linebacker. Uh, I think you put 30 pounds on him and make him, in, uh, make him an edge. But that's – we'll see. But I, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um so that that would be my my take on those two. Cade, I I wanted to get your take on Utu's comment after the down and dirty lineman camp. He said, and I quote, I knew I was gonna get offered. I, I like that just in itself. Sounds I'll like both yeah, both of these guys have some swagger to him. It was interesting with Ike, like it's it's a little bit of the same with Cam Franklin. I don't know exactly where he projects at the second level, like I could see Ike at linebacker, maybe at that Xavier Benson spot. I could even see him up into the third level at, at maybe that Sean Michael Flanagan someday. Who really knows? But um, with with Utu, it almost sounds like, Adam, when you describe him like a little bit of an un, a slightly smaller Nick Benito. Like Nick Benito even is a little bit undersized for that role, but he's so physical 
like the production, I also think speaks for itself, right? Like that 41 tackles for loss, 19 sacks at, I think you, you, you offer a kid like that based on that alone. I think that real, real quick, the comment or the thing that's uh, exciting and frustrating for me at the same time is all the players that we've just talked about in the last like 15 or 20 minutes are incredibly exciting. I don't know where in the world Utu is going to play, but he ex- <laughs> just jumps off the screen. But they're all in the back seven in the defense. Like, yeah. let's spread it around a little bit. Like, like can we can we get a quarterback or you know not a quarterback, but can we get some offensive linemen that that I'm excited about? Can we get some defensive linemen that we're excited about? Like, th- those are two really really nice prospects. One that probably has a little bit more of a traditional route, and one that is just someone you probably should get on the field in some capacity. Uh, and in, in addition to a slew of talented defensive backs. Um, there's just consolidated in like two positions would be my comment. So anyways, that was, you didn't ask for that comment, but you got it anyways. <laughs> Thank you. He, Utu is another guy. I know he committed kind of early, but I think incarnate word was his only offer. Yeah. It's just, it. it's I do, wild. I do think Gundy's trolling us somehow. I mean, with, with, with guys like this, it's, it's been the secret sauce forever, but you you call out things like that, and it's like, I yeah, there's something to it. There's something to the ca- the quality of team they play for the offer sheet. There's got to be something. I'm he's, sure he has like decent 200 times too. By the way, like he's he's supposed to be a linebacker. Same thing with Ike. By the way, Ike has uh, yeah, his hundred time was really fast, right? It was like mid 11s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, Utu ran the 200. Uh, it was just under 23, which is which is a good time for a linebacker who's not really a top end speed linebacker. Um, hell, I didn't even see a rep from him at linebacker. They were on the line, <laughs> right? So, the, I guess if if we're gonna get if you're just gonna be the negative, you know, condescending Oklahoma State fan, you could say that maybe just Gundy's wants to get guys from high school that already know how to lose. When he they come into college, yeah, it'd be natural for him. That uh, losing four out of five or whatever wasn't even a big deal for them. They're used to it. So I'm telling you, this information is dangerous in the wrong fans' hands. I'm telling you, anyone can use that joke, fans, if you want to. Um, I just thought of that one. So, in all serious, no, I I think that this is fun. Like, don't get me wrong, I love to be an Alabama fan and love land six five stars and everyone's happy or or have Phil Knight money and get 17 recruits to flip on national signing day. Like I'd love for that to happen, but I do think that there's like fun things to like figuring out, like, you know, the old Bill Snyder way of signing JUCOs. Like you got to get creative when you're Oklahoma state and you've got a limited budget and you've got a limited brand name. Like you have to get creative with recruiting and they don't tell us what it is. You got to, you got to, you know, connect the dots. Uh, And I think some of this is what's happening before us in this new era. So I I find it I mean, Adam, I know you and I have talked about it off air, but the the way they're attacking the transfer portal now, I think we figured out kind of what they're going for there with their, you know, kind of tenured group of five guys, maybe some yes. bottom of the pack teams in power five, but guys who performed really well for those schools. It's just interesting to see. And it just goes to show you that obviously, you know, these coaches know what they're doing and and it's fun, like you said, to figure out what these strategies are. Obviously, if you're at an Alabama or Ohio State, it's get the five-star guys. But at Oklahoma State, where you're going to have a lot of competition for those guys with those Blue Bud schools, how can you get the best guys into your school 
you know, like what, what strategy do you go with? And it's fun to kind of look at what Oklahoma state's doing in both the high school ranks, the Juco ranks and the transfer portal and kind of try to figure that out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think it's unmistakable with the way they've approached the transfer portal, right? You look at guys like Sean Tyler, Deshaun Stribling, like those are two guys, Dalton Cooper that are going to come in and, and either start or compete to start on day one. That's not what they're recruiting at the high school level, and it makes perfect sense as to why they wouldn't. Um, I just think it's a new era for a lot of people, and it's it's tough to it, – it hasn't been this way, and it hasn't been this way for long, but it, it happened quickly. I think there's some catching up to do in, in the minds of some. So, 100%. All right, let's wrap it up with the, the offensive skill position, guys, which there's not really that many of. We've got Cameron Hurd, who played quarterback – and defensive back at, in Houston at Fur High School. They've recruited him as a wide receiver, six foot, 170 pounds. And then our guy, Zane Flores from Gretna High School in Nebraska, the quarterback, the quarterback. Or is it Flores? Flores or Flores? So Robert Allen keeps saying Flores. He said it at the press conference today. Until I hear Zane say it. I'm going to say Flores because every interview I've watched, that's how they pronounce it. But this is a Garrett Rangel Rangel situation or a Max <laughs> Dugan Duggan situation. I we could just call him Zane on this one or Z, <laughs> Big Z, anything you guys want. But both guys I like a lot. Obviously, I, you know, Adam, I know you've done a lot of stuff on Twitter about Zane. We've done stuff from the Feels Like account. Cade and I have talked about Zane a bunch. But Cameron Hurd is an interesting prospect. If you go watch his huddle tape, you're going to see him run the zone read at quarterback with like one pass to the tight end. And you're going to see him play defensive back really well. But you can see the athleticism. It jumps off at you. And I think this is a guy that we're going to see. I don't want to call him a gadget guy because I feel like that's a, you know, a slight to his, to him as a player. But I think this is a guy you see used on trick plays, using the slot, maybe moving it outside sometimes, kind of move him all over the place. And maybe that role, I know he's quite a bit taller and bigger than a Braylon Presley, but maybe that role that we thought Braylon Presley would fill, a guy like Cameron Hurd could fill. Well, Cameron Hurd is the size that Braylon Presley needed to be to play that role. So it's already (laughs) physically an upgrade. (laughs) We don't have to rehash all of that. I have a question. Is Cameron Hurd going to be the bridge guy at quarterback as we as we wait for uh, Flores or Flores to to be the guy in, in Rangel uh, in year two? Who knows? Wait, are you guys implying like that. that were you guys implying that Braylon Presley wasn't the requisite size for twenty five carries a game? I, or I, some are saying it. I asked, yeah, Dustin. I only <laughs> I, I chose i i came here to chose i chose violence today so i actually uh, thought i thought kate and i were going to get more hate for our takes on that albeit i thought we were pretty fair but i we actually got some positive feedback on that so thank you listeners for that <laughs> they're just Yo. being nice they were they were pissed in secret <laughs> that's uh, true that's true i i think it's interesting so first of all fastest guy um in the class 10 8 which is 10 800 time which is super fast he might be the second fastest player on the team other than Jade Nixon um, on the squad. Maybe I'm not sure, but official Jaden Nixon was a 10, six, either 10, six, two or 10, five, two, which is Jeez. like 
burning. blazing fast. Yeah, it's super fast. Um, Cameron Hurd's, uh, you know, half or like not even a half step slower than that. Uh, strange uh, situation because he's 5'11", but he he either has the James Washington syndrome, which, by the way, James Washington, when you watch him play, he looks like he's 6'3", but he's 5'10". It's because he's got those long legs and he's got the long stride. Cameron Hurd has the long stride as well. Um, so I, th- I think it'll be interesting. Uh, he's, you know, uh, track star, 10, 800 time, ran 200 long jump, played basketball. Um, I, I don't know if he's quick though. Uh, I was not able to find. So I think uh, the reason I would maybe disagree with the take that you had where the, like, he's a gadget player a little bit is like, like maybe as like a, a double pass. Cause he was a pretty good quarterback. Like he wasn't a, D one level quarterback, but he can throw. But I don't. He threw I think it quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he eleven touchdowns, three interceptions. Like it wasn't bad. I I view him as more of like a lot, like a like a, you know, really what they do with the X position, which is run them on posts and go balls and try to get them out and or or on those deep comebacks where you're you're running off the coverage and coming back. Um, because I don't know, he didn't come off as like really twitchy to me, which uh. You know, if, if you're a wide receiver, you know, you're you you want to be fast and quick. But if you're only fast, um, you'd probably want to put you on the wide side of the field, give you space. Uh, so that's kind of how I saw it. I, maybe I just he it was in the context of him at quarterback running the ball, though. <laughs> so I never saw him catch a pass once. Can't throw it to himself. Uh, so he's certainly someone that is going to be fascinating. To see how it all plays out. It's tough too because it's it's a lot of zone read and QB power. Like he, his yeah. straight line speed jumps off the page. Yes. I would agree with you though. In those type of of settings, it is hard to get twitchy. I, I would think. Yeah, um, I think it's I, fair. I, I I absolutely saw what you're saying though, Adam. I think it's a great point. Yeah, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch because, as both of you just alluded to. You couldn't really watch him play receiver in his high school film. So he's going to be someone, he's going to be somebody to keep an eye on. I think super, super talented athlete. Definitely think he'll make an impact at some point. Probably not quarterback, probably wide receiver, but we'll kind of see how it goes. And that leads us to the quarterback, Zane. Not going to say his last name again because now I don't know what it is. What what are the thoughts here? When when is he the starting quarterback for Oklahoma State? How many years away from now? Man, that's so tough. I not I all love, at once. Yeah, I love his film. I will say I love his skill set slightly more than I loved Rangel's coming out of high school. But what I've seen of Rangel now, it's like okay, I think he can be in a, a highly effective quarterback at this level. So what is Zane Flores' ceiling? Because if it's highly effective quarterback at the power five level, then I don't know. But if it's above that, then it's, it's in two years, but he's going to compete for that job in 2020 going into 2024. I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's, uh, He's probably more physically talented than than Rangel uh, on paper. Although I would say that it, it I guess, kind of interesting how you define physically talented. Because, like for example, I think Rangel has amazing touch, 
which you could say is a physical attribute too. But like the way that we think about physical attributes would be size and like arm strength. And I think Zane F definitely has some advantages there, certainly on size because he's, I had him at six, three and a half. He looks pretty tall. Like he's a legit six, three, six, four, uh, one ninety. you know, big frame. Uh, so he certainly has the potential to be someone. I, I don't think, I mean, to answer the question, I don't think Rangel or, or Zane would be, uh, completely prepared to start. Like, I think we're, we're, we need a year gap and then still have growing pains with either one of them, uh, which is not a great answer, <laughs> But I'm just being honest. Uh, but none of this, I mean, I like him a lot as a player. Um, he's he's a little mechanical for my liking. Like he's 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 very fundamentally sound, almost to like the highest level. Like his feet, his his mechanics are all incredibly consistent, which generally is really good. I think that that translates to some really strong accuracy. For some reason, That's what I, I was can't gonna say. I, I can't put my finger on it, but his accuracy or his completion percentage went down from his junior to senior year. Um, I, what I saw from that, Adam, just actually going in and watching on NFHS, like the full games, right? He threw a lot, a lot of short to intermediate throws his junior season. A lot of screens, a lot of that. That. I think kind of inflated that 70.1% completion percentage, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing that it went down to 65 because I saw him kind of going through progressions more, making some more difficult throws his senior season. And you see that 5% drop. I th That's kind of what I saw. Maybe there was more that led into it. Obviously I'm sure there were other factors, but that was kind of the main driver kind of root cause I saw in watching his film there. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there's no better friend to completion percentage than, you know, wide receiver screens or those now screens or, or anything. But, um, you know, incredibly refined. I mean, great mechanics, great feet. Is pretty mobile, not dynamic, but he's mobile. He can throw on the run. He doesn't have elite arm strength, but he's got plenty of arm strength. Um, the only thing that I would say is, is like um, – I don't know how to say this. This isn't a very technical term. He's kind of basic. <laughs> uh, like there's not, I watch him play and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's a really good player. There's never any time that I'm like, holy crap. Like that was amazing. You know? And a lot of times in high school, you see that, especially with top tier quarterbacks where it's like, wow, that was an incredible throw. Like Rangel's got yeah. a few throws yeah. that I would say, holy crap. He fit that in. Uh, he's got a few. He's got some that he hit in the back of the end zone. There's one where he pump fakes and runs around a player and hits someone like in the corner of the end zone um, on his highlight tape. Um, but I, I would be I would be interested to see if that means that his floor is really high, but his ceiling maybe is a little bit lower. Just a thought. So, well, that's kind of what I was getting at, Adam, with the the thought of you know, I don't know if he's going to be more than highly effective. Like highly effective feels like the ceiling. Maybe with, with both of those guys, and that's not a knock on Rangel, it's not a knock on Flores. There are tons of highly effective quarterbacks that Oklahoma State would would love to have. But I, I do wonder what that ceiling is, but I do think his mechanics lend, it, lend you to believe that he's probably going to be in a pretty good spot to compete that red shirt freshman year because he's going to come in and I think he's going to have a lot of those kinks already worked out because they weren't there to begin with. I, it's just my opinion. So for the record too, like you, 
if he meets that ceiling, even if it's lower, he's going to be a first first team Big Twelve quarterback. Like like let's set this. You know, I mean, what what I'm talking about from a ceiling perspective is is like, is he going to be a a top three NFL draft pick or something like that? But like, you can take what I'm saying or potentially what you're saying if we're agreeing on the same thing, and be like an incredibly effective quarterback. Um, I don't know if he's going to be that guy that's going to take, like, it kind of gives me like Charlie Brewer vibes. I know that's like a negative. Um, I know yes. that's like a negative thing, but go back and look at, go actually go search my Twitter and, and search 2019 <laughs> Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer was incredibly good until he got hurt. Uh, and he gives me a lot of Charlie Brewer vibes. Zane doesn't give me like shapen vibes necessarily but when you say basic like i think blake shapen is a basic quarterback i yeah. see a lot of that in zane i think you'd take it blake shapen right oh, of course every time yeah. so yeah i think we do agree i think you know like we both like we've all said you get the stopgap quarterback and then i think the growing pains year the battle going into that year, that would be a great year to, I know Adam, you and I have talked about this, but that would be a great year to go to extreme camp. If you haven't mm. been before, that would probably be a great year to see a true quarterback battle. I think it's going to be a lot of fun that off season. It'll give us a lot of stuff to talk about on the podcast. So looking forward to that. I like both guys a lot. I think you guys covered them. Uh, my thoughts will just sound repetitive and dumb now if I give them. So I think you guys kind of, Took it away there, but I, I love I love everything that was said. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how Zane F does in the future moving forward. Is there anything we missed on this class that you guys want to hit before we move into our quick, short, twenty second bowl game preview? I think we've got some people probably hanging on to some hope about Jelani McDonald. I, I don't know if that's worth mentioning that. He's still hanging out there. Obviously, we talked a little bit about him decommitting. There is a possibility of a recommitment. I think there was somebody said something and everybody went kind of crazy last week. And I, I think the flames have died down a little bit. I do think there's a chance that he ends up back at Oklahoma State. But if Texas wants him, it feels like that's where he's headed. And he's kind of a prospect that it feels like if he gets on campus at Oklahoma State and Texas calls in two years, he might go to Texas anyway. So it's just an interesting saga with him who would be Oklahoma State's highest-rated player in this class. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like, like you said, Cade, it is, if Texas has room for him, he'll probably commit there, but do, do, they? do they? Yeah. And if not, I, I don't know. What, what would you guys put the percentage at that he lands at Oklahoma State, and remember, this is recorded. <laughs> I think it's a hundred. If Texas doesn't have room for him, I think he ends up at OSU. So I think it's either. I think they're a solid number two. Yeah. Um, but if Texas has room, he's going to go to Texas. Like I think it's as easy as that. If does Texas have room, and if so, he's going to go to Texas. And if not, he'll come to OSU. And you know what? I will take him with open arms. I don't care about being second place. You can, t you can sell me for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, second place is normally better than I finish in anything. So we'll gladly take second place over here. Yes, exactly. I, I have a quick comment before we move on from the, um, the class, the DB class from this year is going to look, is going to feel 
and look a lot like the wide receiver class from 2021. And remember Bray, JP Richardson and the green brothers, none of them were, all of them were three stars, pretty basic. No one was excited about them. And then they all made, uh, maybe not to the extent of making an impact to freshman year, but that's going to be, that's going to be a building block wide receiver unit for years to come. And that's the way I look at this DB class, like studs on studs. Um, and no one's going to talk about them. Now we just need to replicate that for defensive tackle. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Can, can we get a defensive tackle in there? Before we moved on, but that was my last statement. I'll shut up now. No, I love it. Now, Adam, it was awesome having you as part of this. We're not going to let you go yet. We've got a little bit of a bowl preview uh, to get to, believe yeah, it or not, after all of that, <laughs> we're going to hold you hostage. Before we get to that, though, let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right. Welcome back. Yeah. After all that, we're going to talk about a football game, uh, but it is an interesting one. We've talked about this before, Dustin, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State in Phoenix, Arizona, 9-15 on Tuesday night, December 27th. It's a matchup of two intriguing brands. Wisconsin obviously going through a coaching change. Luke Fickle coming in. You don't know necessarily what that scheme is going to look like. I'd be surprised if they tore up the playbook. But if they do, it lends itself to a completely different conversation about this game. ESPN FPI gives Wisconsin the slight edge, 53.5%, and then they are favored by 3.5%. So, Dustin, Adam, you guys kind of initial thoughts about this game. It's tough to kind of get up for it, but we're going to try. Yeah, Kate, I'd like to call this segment, Who's Playing? <laughs> On both sides, who's playing? But I think the first interesting thing you got to talk about with the bowl game is Oklahoma State released their depth chart and, you know, it stays pretty consistent, even if there are injuries, even if guys are moving around. Oklahoma State will sometimes do a good job of updating it, but really it stays whatever the week one, they just keep rolling with that, even if they're starting other people in the actual game. But in the defensive backfield, things obviously look a little bit different. And at linebacker, you've got Xavier Benson and Lamont Bishop starting in Cobb's spot. You've got Cam Smith in Jabbar Muhammad's spot. You've got Ty Williams listed behind Kenyon Daniels and Sean Michael Flanagan in the Thomas Harper spot. So, so some interesting things there. You're seeing some guys on the on the two deep that you haven't really seen. The, the offense looks pretty similar aside from quarterback. Uh, you've got Rashad Owens listed back at wide receiver, but a couple of interesting notes there. I mean, Do you think what's going to be the one thing you guys are really interested to see aside from Garrett Rangel 
on offense uh, from the rest of the, some of those new guys I mentioned out there, who are you most interested to see get some reps? Go ahead, Adam. Oh, that's a tough one. Cause I mean, you know, if you say Lamont Bishop, Lamont Bishop is probably on his way out uh, or maybe he is coming back. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, probably, I mean, honestly, it'd be great to see Ollie Gordon get another 20 carries. Uh, I, you know, I, I know that like running backs don't matter and they're not real people or whatever, but, but honestly, like, like the way that the running game has gone, especially being an awful run team this year. And the fact that you have, uh, a, a capable running back that can take the load, probably Gordon would be in the fact that you're running, you're starting running back transferred. Um, he would probably be the one person I would identify if I could only choose one. Uh, that that was an easy one for me as well. It's Ollie, but since you said it, I'll I'll go with uh, maybe a, a little bit off the beaten path. I'll I'll go Boogie Johnson. I just have really loved getting to watch him play. Don't know what type of run he'll get in the bowl game, but he's he's a skill guy that feels like he could take that step and 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 compete for a starting spot next year. So I'll pick him, but only because you said I can't pick Rangel and Adam already picked Ollie. So. I'm I'm just here. I know this wasn't how I asked the question, but I'm I'm here for Brock Martin's one last ride. Oh, that's good. That's what love it. That's what I'm here for. I love that. Okay, just a little bit on Wisconsin. Offensively, they're down a few guys. They're missing their center that started all season, Joe Titman. They're also missing Graham Mertz, their quarterback, and then the the another key player they're missing on offense is uh, Isaac Garendo. He wasn't their starting running back, but he was in the mix. Due to this and due to some other offensive linemen being injured, they're kind of mixing around their offensive line. So Trey Wittig is going to play right guard. He's only played 133 snaps there this season. He is a starting offensive lineman, but just not doesn't normally play that right guard spot. Tanner Bordellini is going to play center for Tip Tipman. He's played zero snaps there. And then Michael Furtney is going to play left guard. He's a guy who entered the transfer portal and then decided to come back. He's played zero snaps at left guard. So on their offensive line, I, I, all those guys I mentioned are actually pretty good. They're just playing spots they don't normally play. Their left tackle, Jack Nelson's pretty solid. The one weak spot I would probably say is Riley Mallman. Their right tackle, uh, wide receiver-wise, Jameer DK, Skylar Bell are kind of their main go-to guys. Mertz love to just throw slants to DK over and over and over again. They'll throw it to their tight ends. They like to throw it to Eschen back. The stud, my favorite player watching is their freshman running back, Braylon Allen. The dude is an absolute monster. He's a little bit taller running back, number zero. He's really good. But I think the question mark for Wisconsin is going to be, you know, a similar to Oklahoma State putting two quarterbacks out there who aren't very experienced. They have Chase Wolf who I believe is a fifth-year guy, but he's only played 10 snaps this season. He missed some time due to injury. And Miles Burkett, 25 snaps this season. They haven't announced who's starting because I, I still don't think they know. And I think that's going to be a little bit in, of an issue from them. It, Wisconsin's offense, it looks still similar to how it has under Chris the entire time. Bobby Ingram is their OC right now. His son actually plays wide receiver, Dean Ingram. He'll get some run. 
they'll play action pass. They'll do a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of gap scheme stuff, but they will mix in some zone. All their linemen can pull really well. It's kind of a boring offense to watch. And, you know, as Oklahoma State fans, it might be a battle of the boring offenses in this game. Does it feel like they're going to just try to turn around and run the ball 65 times? Like with, with the question marks at quarterback. Yes. And and <laughs> I think that might be enough with the way this Oklahoma State defensive line and, you know, a, a missing Mason Cobb. I've, we're not negative Nancy's. Oklahoma State can absolutely win this game. But if that's all they do, they might be able to find enough success to score enough points and hold Oklahoma State off the field a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't know if I have edu- uh, educated observations. I, I, there's some, there's so much like, uh, can you summarize what you just said, Dustin? Did they, are they missing half their team? Can you give me the, the abridged version? Their, their linemen, they have two linemen playing positions. They haven't played a single snap at this season. So they have a quarterback that has played 10 snaps, if I read that right, correct? The combined snaps from the two quarterbacks who might start is 35 this year. I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking that. So so let's just let's just rewind. One, OSU's won, what, four of the last five bowl games or something like that. Like Gundy historically has been amazing in bowl games. Um, even with bad teams, like think about 2014, um, 2018, those are bad teams that they won bowl games with. Uh, and 2014 was with a new quarterback. Um, so, and hopefully Rangel is the next Mason Rudolph. Um, I, I, I have a hard time thinking they lose this game though. Like, I mean, uh, if you give Rangel a, a, a game that's not a monsoon that has three weeks up to it where he can get in sync with the wide receivers. I, I have a, I have a good feeling that that team can score 28 to 30 points. Can Wisconsin score with a quarterback that's never seen a football before with offensive linemen, that's musical chairs on a team that was bad to begin with. And if so, then that means that the defensive quality is incredibly bad on our side. You know, um, like I think that this should be an easy seven to 10 point win is my first gut thought. The fact that they won't announce the starting quarterback for the bowl game, like I get during the season doing that, but it's the bowl game. I mean, it's a, it's a bowl game. I, I truly don't think they know who they want to put out there. And You're talking about Wisconsin. Kind of, yeah, that kind of backs uh, up your point, Adam, that, that, that they're going to struggle on offense. Like I, I don't think they want to put either of these guys out there at quarterback. I think it was a real challenge for Rangel to get in sync with his wide receivers. Like I think about the Kansas game and, you know, uh, Langston Anderson's out there, Boogie's out there. Um, Bryson Green, who was pretty much the best wide receiver all year. They weren't on the same page at all. Like this whole bowl practice process will enable them to get on the same page. And like, I expect to see a better version of that. Now, is it going to be the version that we all want? Probably not. But I still think that that should be more than enough against this team. It's really not – it's not as much about OSU as it's more of, like, this is – OSU is a better football team. <laughs> like, and I know that's really basic. You should win this game. And I think Wisconsin's favored. But that's because literally everyone has this incredibly negative impression of how 
poorly the end of the season went, which is true. But I think the time and getting some players back enables you to get some cohesion back to get back to that seven or eight win caliber team that this team is and not a two win team that they were in the last month of the season. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin was full blown mediocre all year. Yes. Good point. I, I just wonder, you know, again, they're, they are going to be relegated to turn around and hand the ball off, you know, 50 times. I'm not even exaggerating. I think that's what it's going to look like. I, I don't know. Wisconsin's got a solid defense, solid, yeah. not great, but solid. So can Oklahoma state do enough? I agree. On paper, they should be the better team here, but can they actually put it together is the question I, I am left with. And I know Oklahoma State's missing guys like Lacey and Cobb and Jabbar Muhammad, but, kid, you segued it perfectly. Wisconsin is missing Keanu Benton, their best defensive tackle. Nick Herbig, their best linebacker. Justin Clark, a key piece in the defensive backfield. Jay Shaw and John Torchio, both really solid defensive backs, are going to play, but Benton was by far the best player on this Wisconsin defense. That that was good at stopping the run. Jim Leonard's going to still be around for the bowl game. He's been the defensive coordinator there since 2017. Loved Jim, Jim Leonard, loved him in the NFL. He runs that. Their defense, it's actually going to look kind of similar to some things that Oklahoma State did, did this year. I mean, I know he's considered a 3-4 guy, but They'll go two hand in the ground, two stand up edge guys a lot in pretty much every game I watched. That was the main part of their defense. And they'll, you know, they'll do some simulated pressure stuff that we talked about with Baylor. They'll try to confuse you. But if Rangel has, like you said, Adam and, and Cade, like you said, if he has this much time to prepare, Jim Leonard's on the way out. He said he's not going to be back. They're missing these key pieces. I think this Oklahoma State offense. With Ollie Gordon, all the receivers, and Rangel might be able to find some success. I hope so. And that's it. I think that's what we got. You know, and I think think it's an interesting thing, though, of like, why would you not come into this game and give Ollie Gordon 25 carries? Like, what is the downside of that? Like, if you lose this game... What's the risk? Like you want a better running game in 2023. So, and you have a true freshman quarterback that needs time to, to um, get his feet underneath him. And your run game straight up sucked this year, like terrible. So why would you not literally work the entire bowl session to run the ball 50 times, control the game? That's not an offense on the other side that can score up a lot of points, you know, so you can, you can slow this thing down um, and try to play, uh, you know, no turnover football and, and win a 24 or 21, 10 game. Uh, I don't see why that wouldn't be the play. Try to get some deep shots or some, some quick, easy throws and just pound it down their throat with your 220 pound freshman running back. Yeah, I feel like if you start early in this game, you're you're gonna bury them because I I don't see Wisconsin scoring above 21 reasonably, and that's kind of on the high end of where I would have them. So this really is a question of is of how effective Oklahoma State's offense can be. Um, totally agree on the Ollie Gordon front, and that's even from a selfish perspective. I would I just want to watch him carry the ball a lot, like it, up to that point. Well, actually, can let me ask you guys a question. If if I told you that Rangel went 14 for 20 with 200 yards and two touchdowns, no turnovers, and 
And Ollie Gordon, Ollie Gordon had 25 carries for 125 yards and looked great. But OSU lost. Would you take that over, let's say, a win, but maybe we did, they didn't look as good? Yes, I, w- I would definitely take them looking better. That would give me yes. more hope going into the next season. E- even if we were to land a Brendan Armstrong at quarterback, I think just the Ollie part would be – that'd be two games back-to-back where he performed really solid getting a bulk of the carries, and I, I would be really excited going into next year. I mean, I'll, I'll channel Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. But but I want to see what this offense can look like. So I do agree with you guys. I want to win, though. This season sucked. Let's go out on a high note. That was kind yeah, of cheap. So, uh, you you, you, Adam answered, wants you to like lose. said both. No, no, no. No, I want to win. I'd rather okay, have a win. Okay, so you're taking a win. Yeah, I'd rather right. have a win. So Ollie has three carries for 16 yards or six <laughs> yards, but somehow we get three block punts for touchdowns and <laughs> – win somehow and we're eight and five and everyone's happy that I don't know about happy would be awesome <laughs> i don't know about happy but i'll take it okay so we don't have to do score prediction this game it's it's kind of weird the overrun lines 43 is what i see it at i'm Jesus. just gonna pick for us oklahoma state wins yeah All right. pick there agreed <laughs> agreed and I, i'll take the under no question about it all day on 43 on 43 i'll take the under i have oh, i had this game 21 is be gross in in my head i had 21 17 kind of all day so let's go with that that's our group pick yeah 21 17 <laughs> oklahoma state wins under 43 9 15 kickoff the ratings might be in single digits for this game yeah, there the might big... be nine people watching this game that's gonna really hurt our our chances in the big 10 yeah which were really strong before the bowl game, though. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. You got it. All right. Well, (laughs) it's a good one. It's a good breakdown. Adam, a big thank you to, for taking this time out of your day, your evening with your family to join us and uh, muse about, about 18 to 22 year old uh, children playing football. So we we thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. You raised the collective wisdom, not that Dustin brings it down. It's certainly me, but you raised it by by several notches to channel Travis Ford. So thank you again for joining us. Any Thanks, final Adam. thoughts from the group before we sign it off? Okay. Recruit uh, bad teams. Recruit bad high school teams. Yes, that's the theme. Recruit. Look, go start. Look at, do a search, reverse search, find the worst teams in America, and then go find the fastest player on the field. And offer them immediately. That's my strategy. <laughs> That's Gundy's strategy, apparently. Re- recruit bra- bad teams. Print the t-shirts right now. Yes. Hashtag. We'll All right. We'll give you your royalties. All right. If you're not already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at feelslike45pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragoo. You can follow me at Cade Webb. And Adam, where can people follow you still? Uh, Adam Lunt, L-U-N-T, 817 on Twitter for awful football takes and life takes so well again we thank you for joining us and uh we should have an interesting one on tuesday night but we'll see you guys back here next week go pokes